this church isn't unique. They teach, no one else can teach the way that we teach. Well, the Shincheonji church teaches exactly how you teach. The Moonies teach exactly how you teach. A lot of the teaching from Ansan Hong, he copied from the Moonies. So, you know, it's, it, I thought it was unique because I wasn't exposed, but then I started to see that, you know, the teachings really aren't that unique. The methods that they use aren't unique. It's just uh, something that's very common out there. I just had no idea because I was restricted from looking it up. So once I was able to see what else was out there, that's when I started to realize that this is just another group, just like all those other groups. So today I'm talking with Anthony, a former member of the World Mission Society Church of God. Anthony joined the church in 2011 and worked his way up to becoming a deacon in the church. So Anthony is going to share about how and why he joined and his experiences in the church and then what ultimately led him to leave. So before we start, I just wanted to uh, tell everybody, if you haven't heard yet, we just uh, created recently a new YouTube channel called Answering the WMSCOG. And so this is going to be a channel that is entirely devoted to uh, only WMSCOG content. I think with having a separate channel that's completely devoted to this specific group, um, it's going to uh, give me a little bit more freedom to kind of just put out whatever content I want. And so, you know, I'm not having to um, saturate the GLS channel with only WMSCOG content. So there will be a lot of, of content over there in the coming months that, that you won't be able to see here on this channel. So um, it, it would be great, be a big favor if you go and subscribe to that channel. And I'll put a link in the description of this video below. Lastly, I just wanted to say thank you to those of you who are supporting the channel on a monthly basis. Yeah, it's all you guys who are supporting on a monthly basis that is allowing me to continue to make this content. And you know, the more uh, support I have, the more time I'm able to, to put into making more content. And so, um, yeah, thank you, appreciate all of you. And um, with that said, I hope you enjoy Anthony's story. Well, Anthony, welcome to the channel. Um, I, I really appreciate you taking a day off of work to to share your story, and, and I'm excited to to, to hear it. Um, I, I listened. I, you you shared your story on the Playing in Traffic podcast already. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. I've uh, I've been on the uh, Playing in Traffic podcast a couple of times. Okay, so maybe just to start out here, could you? just give us a little bit of a uh, a summary i guess of of you know it, as much as you're comfortable giving about like what location uh what what wmscog location were you in how long were you there and then when did you get out so actually i was uh, brought into the church in new york and queens in 2011 uh and i kind of moved around a little bit it was pretty early on within four months they told me i should go to the manhattan location and then after I was there for um, in the church for about a year and a half, they told me I should go down to Tampa, Florida, and I followed them down to Tampa. Um, I was there for, you know, just under a year, went back to New York for a while, it was between Manhattan and Queens. Uh, then I went out to Pittsburgh, 
and then I was sent over to Baltimore and I ended my time in 2021 in Virginia. What was the initial thing that kind of got you um, introduced to them? And then why was it that you were um, convinced to join? So I was, uh, it was just a regular day. At the time in my life, I really didn't have much um, of a religious base. I, I wasn't going to church. I was just kind of, you know, living my life, going through the normal mid-20s struggle and, you know, just kind of trying to grow in my career, trying to, you know, figure out what I wanted my life to turn out to be. And that's when I was approached on the 4th of July in New York. And they just asked me if I've ever heard of God the Mother and the concept they never heard of before. It was interesting. So when they, you know, asked me if I would do a Bible study, you know, I agreed to schedule a time to go do a Bible study. And when I went there, um, you know, first they came out to meet with me at a local place and then we went to the church. And the first day, you know, they were just teaching me some things I never heard of, things that seemed interesting. The They showed me the Bible in a way I hadn't seen before. Um, it, felt, uh, it felt new, it felt interesting. And, you know, I really felt like there was something that I wanted in my life. You know, in a way, it was like more education to to learn something new, to have something, um, you know, that fulfilled me in a like academic way. So I continued to go and I continued to study, and I um, I started to to believe the message. You know, I didn't have any intention to really stay for a long time, but you know, they showed me something in a very interesting, different perspective. And my first day, they asked me if I wanted to get baptized, and you know, I, I didn't see any harm in it. I had never been baptized before. And after that, I kind of had a little bit of like an obligation feeling to continue my studies and to learn more. And the more I came, the more I studied, the more I started to have a fear. And the more I started to have a, you know, a faith in what they were teaching. And, you know, it's the only time I've really been reading the Bible. So I didn't really have anything to base it off of, but I felt like I was starting to see something. And then they kind of introduced this teaching to me that the end of the world's coming very soon. And I felt like I just like came into this place at the perfect time. Like I mm -hmm. just made it because it was 2011. And at the time everyone was talking about how the next year was the end of the world. So I just felt like I have to, you know, put myself a hundred percent into this because even if you're a member of the church, they teach, you know, just coming to the church alone is not enough. You know, you have to excel as a member in order to get to the kingdom of heaven. So I just started and, you know, with that fear and that, you know, little bit of faith I had at the very beginning, I just started going full force into the church. And, you know, it was really because I just thought, okay, I have, a, you know, a year and a half, until the end of the world at most. So, you know, fully commit yourself and, you know, this is it. And it was very fast. I was really shocked because within four months of being in the church, I had a roommate and a, a friend I had for years. And I said, I want to move out and I want to move in with church members. So it was very quick how um, involved they got into the church. So, what then became your experience in the church? I mean, um, 
how how did how did joining the WMS affect you um, emotionally and just just as an overall person relationally with family? Um, talk a little bit about that. Well, circling back to some of the fear, it was pretty early on. I started to have nightmares because they talked about like you know global destruction, atomic bombs. So, you know, on my earliest time in the church, I started to have that, you know, those like haunting nightmares about the end of the world and destruction and, you know, being in New York City where I was living at the time and having, um, you know, buildings collapse all around you. So I started to live in this constant state of fear. Also, one of the things that they teach, there's a, one of the first studies that they teach you is a heavenly family and earthly family. So in that study, it's, it talks about a reality and a shadow. There's the reality, which is, they say, the spiritual world, and this earth is nothing but a shadow. So in the reality, there's your real father, your real mother, which they say is God, and then your real brothers and sisters, the church members. This earth is just a shadow, which has very little value, but you can look at it to understand the reality. So whatever love your parents have for you is just like a shadow compared to the reality that is the love God has for you. Whatever your relationship is with your siblings is just a shadow of the real love in the church. So you start to underappreciate your physical, you know, your family, your actual family. They call it the physical family versus spiritual family. So at that moment, they start to introduce this teaching where however much you love your physical family, it's just it's nothing compared to the spiritual. So you become more and more like uh, dull to your family relationships and your friends. And, you know, the first thing you try to do is invite them to the church. But as soon as they reject you, you just kind of feel like you need to move on, especially considering how limited time you're told that you have. So why waste your time on somebody who's not going to accept their, your relationship they teach is only on this earth. When the end comes, you have no emotion towards those people anymore. They're just another soul. It's not your mom. It's not your sister. It's not your brother. It's just a, a different soul. That bond is broken when you die. So they, that's the kind of teaching that they have. So slowly I just started to separate myself from everybody I, I guess that sort of goes into the the manipulative kind of way that they um, go about doing things because it's not as if they just kind of to your face plainly state hey you need to leave your family and you know give all your time to us and don't you know don't spend any time you know they don't say it um, clearly but they they utilize their their doctrines and theology and kind of hang them over your head to where um you know it, it's it's as if they allow you to make that decision but um you know it, it's so rooted in all yes. the fear and all the the coercive things they're they're teaching you and and um yeah and so, so you know you have the wmscog now making these you know, response video saying, no, we don't do that. And, and anybody who tells you that is, you know, Satan and, and lying and whatnot. So, so I mean, so, how would you respond to, to them when they say that kind of stuff? 
I, I know exactly the uh, the cartoon video that you're speaking about. The cartoon video is about uh, cult experts and how cult experts are the reason why families break up, not because of the church itself. Now, in that cartoon, actually, you see that the family, they had no objection to the church. They all loved it. And that's when somebody influenced the mom. But usually that's not how it happens. Usually from the very beginning, the family is, you know, they scratch their heads and they're kind of curious about like, what is this teaching? Like, why, why is it absorbing your life so much? Why are you so different? Why are you not caring about things you used to care about? And, you know, they come up with their own sorts of concerns on their own, but they make these claims that the church doesn't break up families. But in reality, one, they absorb all your time. You know, you of course have to go on Saturday for the full day and then Tuesday night you have to go. And then Sunday is the day for preaching. So maybe you have a little time in the morning, but you have to go for basically the whole day. So there goes your weekend. And then Friday night you have to go because it's preparation day, you have to go clean the church. And then what about the other days during the week? There's always an activity, whether it be, um, you know, this day we're gonna get together and do a, a group Bible study. This day we're gonna go preaching. So you're not home. You you're literally away from your family. And the only time it doesn't separate you from your family is if your family chooses to follow this church as well. So sometimes, you know, families get stuck having to go to the church if they want to see their kid or if they want to see their sibling because it's taking up all their time. But if you don't agree with the teachings and most Christians wouldn't, and you know, anyone who really studies the Bible and can see the sort of manipulation that they're doing to the scripture, you know, they're not going to feel comfortable going. And then, you know, for me, it was, they start to relocate you from place to place. They're always shuffling members from, you know, one place to another place. I had no family in Tampa. I was there, you know, in the church about a year and that's when they moved me down to a completely different state. I had nobody by me. And, you know, then they shuffle people all around and they're physically not near their family. But emotionally, too, they downplay the importance of your physical family. And, you know, from there, it's just the, the separation begins. You don't call them. You don't have a conversation with them. You separate yourself entirely. So the way that the church, you know, teaches the teachings about your family they try to cover it up they try to teach um you know they have like things like happy home which is like a little magazine that they've released trying to show how to live your family life and the sorts of ways you need to you know interact with them they've um they've created like new things in response to this in order to try to cover their tracks but it's only until recently that they've been you know, allowing members to have scheduled time to visit their family. But ultimately the purpose that they give you to go visit family is just to preach to them. You know, like if they give you Thanksgiving, which they used to ban, now it's just go to your family and preach to them. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, it's not only that they, you know, they get you to separate from your family um, through their coercive methods, but, um, so it's not only that it's like this double double layered thing because the relationship whatever elements of it you have left with your family 
what they teach you and tell you about them causes that dynamic to be one of you seeing them as nothing more than a uh, a project or a a um, a goal, a a fruit to try to bear. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, oftentimes you know, if you do visit family, and this is really how my family started to feel, is we want to see you and hang out with you. But every time you're around, you find a way to bring up your church or try to pull out the Bible or, you know, try to scare us or try to make us believe something that we don't believe. So it gets annoying for them, too, I'm sure, because like, you know, now, like when you go visit them, it's never just a conversation. It's never just, you know, talking about the family, talking about life. It's talking about the church. And then that's a, another part of it too, is if you're not a member of the church, if you're just a family member on the outside, you're not really going to understand what life is like as a church member, all the different sacrifices, all the different times we have to wake up at, you know, like four o'clock in the morning to get to four 30 at the church for a 5. AM service. It's right. just, they don't understand this. So I found myself lying to my family a lot. I couldn't tell them about my life. I couldn't explain what I was going through. I couldn't tell them how I'm sick because I was out in the freezing cold preaching in the rain. You know, I, I can't explain any of this stuff to them. So I lying to them also made me feel a little bit further away from my family. And, you know, cause they just wouldn't be able to understand, you know, what, what was happening in my life. So, you know, it, it caused a, a bit of a divide because I don't want the I didn't want the church to be viewed in a negative light either. So if they saw like what kind of life I was living, you know, they would definitely raise concern. So I just had to lie to them about what happened in my life. What are, I guess what are kind of some of the experiences that maybe would would come to mind? Um, experiences with leaders or or um, with with other members that kind of began to show you the true nature maybe uh, of, of what was really at the heart of, of this group? Well, one of the early signs, um, there was a situation when I was in Manhattan. Um, I told the story on the play and traffic uh, podcast, but um, during there was a, a time where we we're all in the church and then suddenly the church leader told all the female members to get out of the room. Now he lined us all up um, shoulder to shoulder. And, you know, there was a, a good amount of the male members and, you know, it kind of made like a curve, like from one wall turned to another wall. And he started yelling and screaming that he found like a child found a used condom inside of the bathroom. And, you know, whose was it he started to call out people and scream you know was it you you have a problem with sexual immorality or have you been masturbating have you been going like member to member throwing accusations at them and then finally this one member uh stood up and he's like it was mine um he said that you know he didn't realize he had it on him from the night before i don't know the story it's a weird story but he threw it out and some kid was in the bathroom and saw it in the garbage and, you know, brought it up and he started screaming at him, you know, you, you know, you're going to kill your soul. You're going to kill your brother's soul. You're going to kill that child's soul, his mother's soul, all his family's soul. Everyone's going to die. And then he took the guy's bag 
um, his preaching bag and flipped it upside down, dumped out all the contents all over the floor. And he started to take the books and the Bible. And he's like, you don't need this. You don't need this. You know, then he called his uh, actual, you know, his physical brother and made him stand there and say, should your brother be allowed to stay in this church and go to heaven? And the brother had to say, no, no, he shouldn't be allowed to, you know, go to heaven. So it was like at that moment, I just felt so uncomfortable about the whole situation. And like if you saw how loud and how red this guy got as he was screaming, you know, it, it was just like the worst feeling. And I was like, you know, in, inside you want to say something, you want to like say that this isn't right. Mm-hmm. But if you spoke up at that moment, you'd you'd have the fear that you'd get kicked out and then, mm-hmm. you know, you'd go to hell, you know. So you just have to deal with this sort of uh, awful thing and just witness it. Um, after a while, I realized that anyone in sort of a, a leadership position, they're educated that they were selected by God Almighty, that what they do is what is right, that God chose them for a reason. So they have this uh, elevated ego. So they feel like they can talk to people however they want. And they also have this example, the leader that they had, at least on the East Coast, he constantly would scream at people, would constantly belittle people publicly. And, you know, then all the little minions under him learned the same exact tactic and then they started to bring this bad culture to all the members too i know that the east coast was known to be a lot more harsh than other locations but it was um it was definitely very very difficult and i think the more that it was exposed after time the softer that they had to become because this stuff was getting out there and then they started to teach that it was a prophecy they started to say oh that was the peter days now we're in the paul days Peter, you know, he said, Jesus, I don't want you to get hurt. And he said, you're Satan, get away from me. But to Paul, Paul was killing members of the church and it was, why do you persecute me? So it was a softer time. Like, you know, we're, we're evolving as a church. You know, we have a different group of members now. So in today's church, they try to cover their tracks a little bit and soften the way that they uh, attack people. But now it's right. done more private than uh, publicly. There, there were some other leaders just like him, but this one, he had a, a pattern of that. Actually, we went to, um, he was a leader who went to Florida when I went to Florida. He, he led the church down there. And actually, uh, he did something like that to me. Um, not, you know, of, of, you know, involving the same sort of reasoning, but he did like a public ridicule to me and, he made a very uncomfortable situation. And then when, you know, I let the pastor know how it was, he's, he basically said, well, I went to that church and everyone seems happy. So, you know, I don't, I don't really believe what you're saying, but I'm like, they didn't realize that the way that the church members treated the, just the regional pastor, they treated him like he was God. You know, like I, I remember that was like one of the weird things when I first came you know, they would tell me, oh, the pastor's coming. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, aren't, you know, what's it, what's the big deal? And when he'd come, they would just not speak. They would like sit all around him. Um, and just whatever he said, they'd be like, wow, wow. Like it was just, 
he could say the most, you know, bland thing and everybody was just wow because you know i think it was like the group setting and they were trained to view anything he said as like this uh words of wisdom so you know when he said oh i went there and everyone seemed happy everyone put on a show for him everyone acted like they were happy because if they acted unhappy how would he react to them what would he say about them and their spiritual status so, you know, there was definitely a lot of showmanship done from the members to put on a front, especially depending on which leader was there, because they didn't want to be viewed as the disgruntled or unhappy member who complained about God's church. Steve um, Hassan or Hassan, I, I never know how to say his last name, um, but I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with um, the, the bite model and um, his stuff on undue influence. So. I just I just have a, a a little definition of undue influence um, pulled up. So undue influence is a psychological process by which a person's free will and judgment is supplanted by that of another. Um, so I mean, when you when you hear that, do you feel like you can look back and see in your experience that your free will and judgment was supplanted <laughs> by well, this group? Anytime I was going to make a life decision, I would have to go to the leader. So, you know, I had the free will to get a new job or to relocate or to get a new apartment or, you know, if I wanted to get a pet or if I wanted like whatever it might be, you know, every decision, I'd have to go to the leader and talk to them about it. I didn't feel comfortable if I wanted to go on vacation to visit my family you know, um, as rare as it might be, or if I had to go on a business trip, I had to go to the leader and talk about it with them and have them make the decision, make, have them make the call for me. You know, it was always, you know, I had to put my own free will second and get the permission of the leader. So, you know, it was definitely a, a system where I couldn't really do what I wanted to do. And then there were times definitely where, you know, I disagreed with when I was taking care of members, the method that we had to provide to care for the members, things we had to say to them. Sometimes I, I personally didn't agree with the message, but I had to be the one who pretended like I agreed with the message in order to deliver it to them. So, you know, there's definitely parts where, you say, um, you know, I'm a sinner. Like they teach that that's like, you know, teaching number one is that you are a sinner that left the kingdom of heaven. You were knocked out because of your free will, your choice, your own mind. Um, so now you're given an opportunity to learn God's methods, God's ways. So whenever you have something that disagrees with the church, well, it's your sinful nature going against God. And that's why you didn't get to stay in heaven in the first place. And you'll never go back unless you can conform to God's plan, to God's, you know, point of view. So whatever thoughts you had that might differ from the church, you aligned your actions and you made your thoughts go with the church in order that, you know, you can not be led away from God, you know, again. Yeah. Right. It's like what they do is cause you to be your own 
uh, jailer or your own, you know, slave master, however it's you want true. to put it. You're, it you're coerced and manipulated into, you know, locking yourself into this, this thing. Yeah. It's, it, they definitely have that kind of power over you. I say it's um, like a system where they make robots who make robots, mm -hmm. you know, they, they train you to become like this, you know, think how they program you to think and then teach others to do the same. So it's, you know, constantly one person teaching another person to follow this robotic, you know, pattern of submission to, ultimately this really destructive teaching that they have. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Just that, that fear of yourself that they instill in you that kind of becomes this mental fencing, you know, that, yes. that keeps you in. You're afraid of, of your own sinfulness. And, and obviously hell is, is sort of at the, the foundation of that the fear of hell um, being a consequence of if you let that terrible thing inside of you, you know, outside of that fence. And so, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're able to think for yourself and they teach you not to, it's like, they have these like shut off switches that they built into your brain that prohibit you from having free thought. So the moment you start to have a question, you shut it down. And even sometimes, though, there might be a member who actually, you know, somehow bypasses that and asks a question. And the result of that is is terrible. There was one time we were doing a study where um, the the theology that they were teaching was that when Jesus resurrected, he was not in the physical flesh. He was in like a transfigured, different sort of body. And somebody asked, well, then why did he still have the piercings on his hands and, and his feet? And they, you know, they spoke to him privately about it. But then after he had that question, the leader talked to all the leaders and said, oh, I thought that this member had better faith than that. He asked this question. He, and now all the leaders know that that brother has a, uh, something wrong with his spirit, with his mind. He's questioning God's word. And now all the leadership starts to treat that brother differently because now they know that he's the one questioning. So now if he's near a new member, Oh, you know, they do some awkward, let's separate them because they call it something called spiritual gangrene, where they think that, you know, his doubt, his question, that simple question is going to prevent. Yeah. So they separate that member from the other members in order to prevent, you know, further questioning from spreading through the church. And now this member, like he asks a question and now he sees a result. This is what happens when you ask a question, you get treated differently. So what should you do in the future? Just you know, say, okay, well, if the church told me this is the way it is, this is the way it is. Don't question it. Just follow because otherwise you're going to get shunned. So there's like, there's, it, it's really intricate, but they know what they're doing. Narcissism, the whole idea of narcissism, especially as it relates to um, religion and, and, you know, spiritual individual leaders or organizations that kind of, function um according to sort of the the, the patterns of, of narcissists that that's something that I'm, I'm really kind of fascinated in uh right now but narcissism um is is something that's you know it's largely i i think driven um by insecurity and so 
you know, that, that's just, you know, all this stuff that you're saying here about how they, this member has a question and how they respond to that sort, sort of thing. It just shows the deep insecurity of this group. Um, would, would you agree with that? I definitely think it, it there is narcissism involved like a hundred percent. One of the ways is you're right. They are very insecure, but then they teach you as a member that there are certain consequences. That's why they need to act that way. For instance, um, oh, it, you know, if a member has uh, uh, a question or there's something that might view the church in a negative light, they're very protective over that information and they need to squash it because if that information causes somebody to question and that question causes them to leave, they will then teach everybody, well, what's the result is that the person goes to hell. So that's why we need to have information control out there. That's why, you know, anyone speaking negatively about the church, we need to stop them because they are going to send people to hell. So that's the way that they teach it. So when the members witness, like actually witness information control, they agree with it. They think that there should be information control because they are told that the consequences are so high. That's why we need to live in this severe state. So, and then also part of the narcissism is the fact that they could never be wrong. No matter how wrong that they may be, they are, they never allow themselves to be seen as the one who was wrong. So they'll do some like um, philosophical gymnastics in order that the member was the one wrong not the church. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that's they they show a complete lack of humility um, because they they have um, they have failures, they have failings, they have things that happen that that contradict previous mm -hmm. teachings or you know prophecies or proclamations and they never admit to it do they they never they never come out and say look we we see this we know we we got this wrong here or or we messed this up here and this is how we're going to adjust this is how we're we apologize we're adjusting we're, we're we realize that now we're going to move forward instead like you're saying they gaslight and they um usually they they throw the members under the bus for for many yeah, uh, other things but um, it's it's the it's always the, the member's fault. It's also um, it, it comes to like if something goes well, oh, it's the power of God. You know, you, you know uh, who can stop these? You know, these men. You'll find yourself fighting against God. They use that verse. I think you've yeah. referenced it a few times. When things go well, when things don't go well, oh, the world is under the control of the devil. Mm -hmm. That's why you know the world is persecuting us. So no matter how things fall, they always say that, you know, this is, you know, either we're, we're going to do well because, it, you know, we, we're with God or we're going to do bad because we're with God. Like no matter what they have. Yep. Uh, they're always on top. They, yeah, yeah, they set themselves to always come out on the top and they manipulate yeah. the Bible and twist it and contort it to make it to where whatever happens, what, you know, yeah. It, if it comes out that Zongil Jaw um, is revealed as a mass murdering, uh, psychopathic lunatic, <laughs> they would find a way to to 
make that into some kind of prophecy. Yeah, God's wrath. I mean, yeah. Horrible. Yeah, it's it, it's true. They um they definitely have a way to always change what happened to fit a narrative. You know, no matter what the result is, it could go either way, and they'll explain it away and just say this is this is what God said would happen, even though it's contradictory results. Yep, exactly. So, how did your story then kind of play out? Um, what happened? Uh, what led you to? where you are now sitting here, um, having gone from a member who was fully committed to making a video on Great White Studios, um, speaking Public out against this, number this one. church. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, um, so eventually in the 2013, after the failed uh, prophecy, um, the, the time I was having down in uh, Florida was really difficult. Um, that, that leader that I had mentioned to you, uh, previously, he, um, he was making it very difficult for me down there. So I went back to New York for a while. And, um, after the 2012 failed doomsday, there was a 2014 failed doomsday. Um, this one was called the year of Jubilee. Um, okay. the year of Jubilee, they say it's 50 years after the establishment of the church. So, you know, in the Bible, that, that 50th year, anyone who was enslaved can return back to their home. So anyone who was under, you know, this, this working condition, all deaths were forgiven, you go back home. And they were teaching that this is that year. And then, you know, they showed about Jesus on the Sabbath day, he proclaimed about the, you know, the year of Jubilee. And so they basically told us that this year, we get to go back home this year all debts are forgiven we go back so that was the way it was kind of presented i mean not as intensely as 2012 but you know that didn't work out so you know time went by you know there's a bunch of different projects i was working on i went out to pittsburgh to help them with their new church location and they had me become a church leader in baltimore um so i relocated again to another uh city and state and you know, I, I grew from there in the church. Um, you know, at that point, I wasn't just like a team leader or a gospel worker. Now I was a church leader. And then in 2019, they gave me the title of deacon. I was a baptizer. Um, you know, so I had to drive around the region to help baptize and support the support the churches with whatever baptisms in different locations. And then the pandemic hit uh 2020 um you know i was at that point in the what they call the theological school where they were it was like a training for them to advance you to become um like an assistant overseer or overseer and work okay. full time for the church and around that time um that's when i had a, uh, you know my uh, there's a lot more free time at home and my sister, she was going through a difficult time in her life. So I'd call her and um, reach out to her more and more. And I started to remember a little bit more about who I was. The real identity versus the cult, you know, given identity started to resurface. I started to concern and ask about my family members. I started to, you know, remember, you know, maybe my, my grandmother's getting older and I should spend more time with her. and. You know, all, all this stuff started to uh, come into my mind. And, 
you know, by 2021, I was really starting to have my doubts. I was also um, getting to the point where I was going to hit my 10 years. And every year it was, I was told this is the last year, this is the last year, you know, and I'm like, well, 10 years is a lot of time for it to be the last year. There's a lot of last years. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I started to you know, say, okay, you know what, let me start to understand things a little bit deeper. If this is the truth, it's going to hold up to whatever sort of research I might, you know, find. And the more I dug in, I started to realize there were things that they were teaching that were incorrect. Um, times and dates and things like that, that they say were part of prophecy didn't line up with what actually occurred in history. Um, teachings that they had in the Bible you know, if you just read the context of it, it ended up, that's not what the verse was talking about at all. Uh, I started this, you know, really read the Bible um, on its own, not just in like little strips here and there that they tell you to read, mm -hmm. but actually read it. Um, the, uh, you know, book of Galatians, book of Romans, you know, and the way that it spoke about what happened with the law, that it was just like temporarily given to the people, that it's not something that we keep forever. Um, I started to do the math with, um, you know, different things that they said against Sunday worship. And, you know, I actually had preached, um, had a, a, a Bible study with somebody who was a devout Catholic who actually brought up a lot of points I'd never considered. And a lot of the doubts I had about the verses I'd use he brought up in our Bible study. And it really got me thinking that if somebody else could defend their faith so much, so well, you know, just as well as I can. And now here I am like nine, 10 years in with a title and I'm a baptizing, you know, and I'm one of the, the best teachers at the location. And, you know, this person is giving me very valid reasons why they believe what they believe. Well, how many other places can do the same thing? Tell you exactly what they believe and why they believe and I just realized I'm no different from anyone else in the world. I'm no different from a Mormon or Jehovah Witness or a Catholic or what other faith there might be out there. I'm, I'm really no different. I'm no smarter, no better, uh, no more worthy. And all these people believe their faith just as strongly as I believe mine. So I started to look into groups that I would know were cultic and see what they believed and why they believed it. And saw that they had the same sort of backup and proof and, you know, countermeasures as we did. So that kind of helped open my eyes that, you know, this church isn't unique. They teach, no one else can teach the way that we teach. Well, the Shinchunji church teaches exactly how you teach. The Moonies mm -hmm. teach exactly how you teach. Actually, uh, a lot of the teaching from Ansan Hong, he copied from the Moonies. So, you know, it's it I thought it was unique because I wasn't exposed. But then I started to see that, you know, the teachings really aren't that unique. The methods that they use aren't unique. It's just uh, something that's very common out there. I just had no idea because I was restricted from looking it up. So once I was able to see what else was out there, that's when I started to realize that this is just another group, just like all those other groups. So that kind of helped me uh, realize then I had to come up with overcoming my pride. And, you know, I spent 10 years telling everybody you're wrong. You're going to hell. Um, I'm right. I found the truth. And now, now what am I going to do? Like I had this pride, like, how am I going to tell my family 
like I've been away from them for so long. I've been neglecting them for so long because I'm following this church and now I'm wrong. You know, I had this pride. And what about everyone in my life? Because the only people in my life at that point were church members. I'm going to have to walk away from everyone in my life because here it is. Like I, I believe something like this to be false. You know, they, they cut people off who, who disagree with them. So, you know, if they'd cut off their family, they would cut off me and like in a heartbeat. So, you know, realizing all that I would give up in order to separate myself from a church that I realized was false, that was probably the biggest struggle and took me a really long time. I would say almost a year for me to make that step. You know, I, I kept on going back and forth, back and forth. Um, but ultimately, you know, I, I decided to leave because I just, I, I realized it was wrong. So it was, you're wanting to avoid having to admit to, to your family um, that you had been wrong for about 10 years that kept you in. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, well, I mean, were there like doctrinal hangups? Were there things about the church that still kept you saying, well, you know, there is still this prophecy or, or what about this, this thing here? Or by that point, had you kind of completely um, rebutted in your head, at least all but the major uh, arguments and prophecies? I, um, I, th I think that I still had the what if, and the what if doesn't go, like didn't go away for a while. Um, that also kept me in, you know, what if, what if this is right? You know, um, I was doing like, what if this is a prophecy? What if that's a prophecy? What if this year it's going to be the end? What if that year is going to be the end? And it just kind of kept me, um, stuck, but I, I, I've been stuck since 2012, you know, and they tell you in 2012 that, well, if you're so concerned about times and dates, then, you know, you're not worthy of the kingdom of heaven, you know? So I just kept on, you know, debating whether or not I should stay and see if this is, you know, if their prophecies are going to come true, if, if in time, um, you know, the world will end like they say it's going to, or if I just cut my losses of 10 years and start to try to figure out what I want to do with my life, you know, as you know, everyone's life is you're slowly heading towards the grave. You know, I, I I'm given a finite time on this earth. Mm -hmm. So do I really want to spend it, you know, doing things I, I don't think, you know, are going to benefit me, you know, or am I going to go out and preach to people and make them as miserable as I am by bringing them into the church? Am I like, what am I supposed to do at this time? So, um, that's why I decided like I need to, I need to leave, even though like the what ifs were there, what if I'm wrong? What if this is correct? You start to realize though, after time that this church is really nothing in the, the broad world, you know, like you, it seems so big in your eyes through their mm -hmm. propaganda videos, through, you know, these church videos that they give you, but it's really not that big of a church. And, the, you know, they say three point something million people, but, that number is definitely inflated. You know, you count how many people are in the church and you count how many churches they actually have. And that would be about 400 people per church or some, some math like that. And, you know, there's definitely churches where it's five people, 
And the biggest church that I've seen is maybe 200. So, you know, their, their numbers are off. So the, what if the, what if questions, um, what one helpful way I think that, that people could deal with the what ifs. And I'm curious if it, if this kind of was something that was involved in you, you know, being able to, to be free from the, the what ifs is, kind of going back to what you were saying um, a few minutes ago about how you were able to look around at all these other religions and groups who were arguing and thinking and in so much of the same way that you were, who were committed uh, to their specific brand of, of religion, just as you were. So I think with the what if questions, one, one thing that might be helpful is for, for people to be able to look around and realize that people who leave Mormonism, they're plagued by those same what if questions of, well, what if this is, what if this is true? What if, what if Joseph Smith was really, you know, what if the book of Mormon, what if, you know, and, and be the same with Jehovah's witnesses or Mm -hmm. Shin members. So you can look around and see that, you know, there's nothing unique about this situation that I'm in. There's nothing unique about these, these what if questions and these fears. And um, if all these people and all these different beliefs are feeling and experiencing the same thing, that that's at, at least should cause you to step back and really deeply question the legitimacy uh, of those what ifs. And, and if there's really much substance could there really be, is there really a good reason to think there's a whole lot of substance behind those fears that are driving those questions? If you're able to look around and see that people from all these different belief systems are feeling the same uh, same exact thing. So did that, I mean, did you have sort of those thoughts? Was that something that uh, played into your ability to kind of move on from those uh, fears? Absolutely. Actually, I, I watched... Um... I was watching some testimonials from people who left those sorts of religions and the way that they explained their experience in their churches, the way that they felt leaving the churches, the way that, you know, they were uh, like excommunicated, shunned, um, you know, called an apostate, all these different things that were done to them on their leaving, um, the way that they came in with love bombing. All of the things that I experienced, I could see it happen in all these other groups as well. So once I started to see that the environment was also the same and what happened to them after they left, it made me more comfortable because then I can see my experience. It's something that just cults do. Uh, You know, that's when I realized some people have a hard time using the word cult when they're leaving. But that actually was what helped me leave is to realize when I started to see what cults were, that mm-hmm. kind of opened my eyes that, oh, wow, this actually is a cult that works the exact same way. And then once their um, teaching started to fall apart, there was nothing keeping me. Yeah. Because then you can kind of see the, you know, you can kind of see the wizard behind the curtain, sort of. Yeah. You know, when, when you start to unpack those things and you know, the, the loud wizard with this powerful booming voice, but then you pull back the curtain and see the, Oh, it's just this <laughs> weak old man. Yeah. And so, so I think, yeah, it's, or like the, 
it's like a cardboard cutout where it, it seems as if there's there's a person there, a real live you know person. But then you start to unpack the doctrines and and untangle the you know, and really start to just be able to clearly identify that, oh, this is a cult. And the reason I'm thinking this way, feeling this way, having this fear is because that's what cults like this do. And so it's kind of like you're yeah. able to turn that that cardboard cutout on its side and see that, oh, this is this is just a cardboard cutout. <laughs> There's nothing really here. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's that's very true. Once you start to see what it actually is, then you have less less fear about it because mm -hmm. you know the tr same tricks are used you know the, there's there's a method that works and you know that's why it exists across the board in all these different cult groups is because this is what they do and that's why they also try to give that cartoon that you brought up to get people to look at steve hassan as like you know this awful person who's mm -hmm. like an agent of satan because if you look at his work or any of the other cult expert work you know, then you'll start to realize what they're um, what they're teaching is something that's seen in many different churches that are, you know, cult churches. And then that's going to open your eyes to the way and in which this church operates. And, um, you know, it's actually funny. They gave a, a video. They gave a couple of videos speaking against Steve Hassan. And in the videos, they say this uh, woman, Dr. Mann, they say that she spoke negatively about his bite model but even this doctor they're like oh well he's just a, a has a master degree she has a doctorate when they have you know her quote um speaking a, a criticism of his bite model even she that doctor went out and said that the church of god the world mission society is a cult so even this like you know the quote that they tried to use in their defense even that lady spoke against the church so right. Yeah. yeah. So how did the um, the leadership respond to your doubts and questions? Did you take any of those things that you were you started to uncover? Did you take those questions, those problems to the other members to I, I guess, you know, you, you were kind of higher up. So you didn't have probably a ton of people um, above you to, to bring these things to. But. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how did all that play out with your, your questions and doubts with, with the other members? Well, the way that, um, the way that it started to work is, um, very early on in my, um, my first year, um, of being at the church, I was, uh, put into an arranged marriage, um, with someone from Korea and, you know, having a Korean wife, in a Korean cult gave you certain um, pieces of information. Uh, so she had a direct access over to the uh, General Assembly through her one of her positions that she had in the church. So I would talk to her about it. And then just like any sort of cult group, I, I, you know, I thought maybe I could confide in her and speak to her and it would just stay between us. But then she took my questions and she brought it up to other people. And that's um, that was really like a big betrayal in my mind. Um, mm -hmm. but she did take a couple of my questions that I had and presented it to the general assembly of the church in Korea, who then, you know, gave like a printout explanation of, you know, what their response is to my questions. And, you know, after that, um, I started to, 
uh, try to transfer out from Maryland into Virginia. And instantly, even while I was still attending, all the Maryland members started to cut me off. Like they wouldn't respond to text messages. And I'm like, I'm still here. I'm still a member. You know, I'm not, you know, but they knew that I had these questions. So they started to cut off the Maryland members from me. I went over to Virginia and it was, it was a very like uncomfortable situation uh, going to a different location where if I had these questions, it was given to general assembly, all the leadership knew they were all talking about it. So now like, you know, it was a very uncomfortable situation because the way that they deal with somebody with any sort of like question, like I mentioned before, they try to separate you and keep you under a very watchful eye. So I just, I would, I stopped going for all the extracurriculars and just went for services. And that was kind of my, on my way out. So they, you mentioned something about them creating like this printout that responded to your questions. Yes. I'm guess I'm guessing you don't still have that, right? Oh, I, so um, they had a Korean version and an English version. Uh, my wife had given me the English version to, um, to look at. Um, and she then uh, wanted to take it back. Right, like, you know, sure. after I had time to read it. So like, maybe I had it for 10 minutes, but I took a picture of wow. it when she stepped away. So I, I have a want to take it back. Yeah. Then I wouldn't have a copy of what they said because they so, want to keep yeah. that sort of stuff under, under wraps. Yeah. Because if they but, realize later on that there were problems with something they said, they can, yeah. they can deny that they ever said it or exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, but you do have a picture of it. Yes. Uh, okay. Of their response. And, you know, it was, it was about uh, things that, you know, maybe we could, get into when we talk about their doctrine yeah. and issues. Yeah. Yeah. We, we will be doing a part two um, where we'll, we'll maybe talk more specifically about some of the, the arguments or the, the, the doubts you had, the, the problems that you began to see and, and kind of mention those um, specifically and kind of, you know, let you articulate uh, how you began to see that they, they don't really hold up uh, to scrutiny. So, um, Go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say that, um, you know, the other thing is once you start to have the doubts and you're in the church, you start to realize things more than maybe you neglected, you know, things that you'd over like, you know, you'd be uh, surrounded by before. But now you start to pick up on things that you didn't pick up on before. Like one of the things is there's always an ever changing bar of what it takes to get into the kingdom of heaven. You know, I always just felt before that it was my problem that I'm never going to reach. You know, I have to keep working, keep working, keep working, you know, keep giving, keep giving, keep sacrificing. And eventually I'm going to get to that point. But the thing is, they keep raising the bar even to the point where they gave us a study and they said that if we don't smile in the church, we don't go to heaven. So like it, it, it's, it's never ending with their expectations of you. And then if you ever question it, you know, if you say, Oh, well I'm here, they'll just put the bar in a little bit higher level. So you're always chasing that, like just a little bit more, a little bit more, but you're never good okay. enough. You're never going to get to that point. And it's exhausting. It, it really is. 
So you were still in when I was making these videos. Um, I think I, I, I think the first video I put out was in 2018, uh, if I'm remembering that right. But did you ever come across the Great Light Studios videos while um, you were a member? I had I had seen um, you know things like pop up. You know I think one of the interesting things in why they tell the members that if you're going to watch the videos of the church sermons, don't go to YouTube. Go to the yeah. website and watch the YouTube video through the website is because you start to pop up. Um, you know, other people start to pop up too. When you, you know, you have like WMS COG or the full name mm -hmm. of the church, you know, your videos pop up. Other people who spoke against the church pop up. Actually, one of them who spoke up, um, was somebody I brought into the church. So I was kind of curious, but he, he made his own channel itself. He was never on your channel, but, um, so like a friend or a friend that you had, yeah. somebody that you brought into the church began just somebody that, on. you know, I, um, I, I, you know, we, we appreciated them on the street and they came and okay. then they ended up leaving and then they started making videos against the church and I, I, you know, his videos would pop up. So, you know, I, I tried to avoid, um, uh, you know, watching and listening, but towards the end when I was really trying to understand what was out there, there were some of your videos that I would watch. Um, I found it really helpful to, you know, hear your perspective when you talked about like the fig tree lesson. And, um, you know, I think uh, there was a, a few different things that you made that were, you know, you really hit the, the point um, in a way that like resonated with me. There, um, the one thing I got, that turned me off a, a little bit at the, at the beginning was uh, when you say An Sang Hong, <laughs> uh, you know, because, you know, that's it looks like that's how, how it's pronounced. So immediately, uh -huh. oh, this guy doesn't know. And, you know, yeah. I, I, but then I'm like, let me go back and listen anyway. So like yeah. it was it was a little bit of um, like a, of a back and forth. But eventually I, I yep. was able to, to start to listen, especially once I made the decision to leave it brought a lot of comfort to be able to listen and uh, um, realize, but it was, it was very helpful for me um, to make that final decision. And then after I left helping me with my uh, decision that I had made. So kind you know, of deconstructing. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, you know, I, I guess this is a good opportunity to, to thank you for the work that you do um, to help these, you know, people in the church, family members, and, and you know, the, the uh, content that you put out. I know it's not easy to, you know, in your free time do all this. So I appreciate you, um, you know, working on this and, and putting this out because it helped me and I know it helped a lot of people. So. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't fishing for a, a thank you. <laughs> really, really appreciate that. Um, yeah. It's, it's always just interesting to hear, um, I think mainly because, you know, I I don't get an opportunity to sit with current members and, and talk like this. You know, you know, 99 percent of them refuse to have a, a phone call or video call or whatever when I'd love to do that. But it's just interesting to hear from kind of that side, like how 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 do members perceive what's happening? You know, like you're saying, when you type in WMSCOG on YouTube, 
uh, it's, it's kind of funny, but you can, you can look at like these different analytics, um, you know, that can, you can attach to like Google and I haven't checked it for a while, but, but last I checked both the, the keyword world mission society, church of God and WMSCOG, the top channels for those keywords is great light studios, <laughs> uh, which is just, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's a good accomplishment because what, you know, you can tell the world mission society church of God just seems to pump out as much content as they possibly can. Um, and, you know, Jeremy Burgos, who, who uh, mm -hmm. knows more about that, that side of things, um, you know, has, has discovered some evidence that would seem to, to allude to that they're, you know, maybe paying for views or likes or whatever. Um, but yeah, um, it's just, it's just interesting to kind of hear how from that perspective, how you, how you kind of perceive the channel and the videos and seeing the former members speaking. And, and yeah, I, um, I would say that when I was, you know, in, in the early days, um, you know, I would say just even seeing like, you know, your face or, or Michelle or Kelsey, um, Steve, who you have on sometimes just, Yep. It would be so angry as a member, you know, I would, I'd be so like frustrated and, and um, I, you know, it just seeing the face just made me angry. And now, now yep. I know that people are going to see my face and be like, Oh, that jerk, that awful guy. Yeah, but yeah. You know, it, 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 that fades away once they start to realize that who the actual jerk really is, is the, yeah. the ones who are manipulating the church members. But you know, I, I felt a lot of hostility for a while against you guys, but I bet, you know, I bet, you know, listening and, and realizing you guys aren't bad people. You're, you're helping yeah. people. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for saying all that. Um, it's, yeah, it's always great to hear, um, how, <clears throat> how people are being helped. I think, you know, on multiple sides of it, it's like at the, on that side of it, it's just, it's creating anger in members and stirring things <laughs> up. But I think, think uh, you know, especially with the former member testimonies like yours, which is why what you're doing right now is so important. I think these are the things that, um, you know, hearing from you guys who were in it, who walked in it, where they can relate to your experiences. Um, I think those are the things that would leave members probably more often, current members with really something to think about and something that I think a seed that will, you know, grow hopefully in the future. But um, yeah, so, so it's, we'll continue doing it. Um, um, and I, um, you know, I also, I, I, I put myself out there. If there's anybody who, you know, one of the things that I found when I was leaving um, and I was in this state of fear and, and worry was having a community having people to, to speak to who were former members. Um, I reached out to you very early on and uh, you connected me with Kelsey. And then I listened to the playing in traffic and reached out to them. And then they connected me to somebody else. And just having like these conversations with people who've been through it, I think that, you know, whether it be listening through the YouTube channel, but, you know, I, I'm also, you know, very open to if anyone has a question or if they want to have a conversation, you know, about it, you know, if they're in, if they're out, if they're struggling, you know, I'm, I'm very open to, to have these chats with people. Yeah. Yeah. I've had the thought recently about maybe I know there's a handful of, of Facebook.
Facebook pages and stuff, but I've wondered if creating a, a Facebook page or a Discord uh, server or something like that where people can kind of have some community. Um, so yeah, I don't, that might be something that that um, we can maybe, I can work on it. And I think, yeah, because we there's a lot of people I know just, just coming out of this, having other people too who can relate to you, who you can talk to and, um, you know, just being able to see other people who have come out and gone through it and are still, you know, healthy, functioning, happy, I think uh, is just, you know, a hugely helpful thing for people. Yeah. You know, it, and I, they hate that. They hate when people leave and then they do well. Um, yeah. You know, for me, I think having the community helped me do a quick rebound, um, get my life back on track and, and, and going forward. But I know that whenever somebody leaves and then their life doesn't go well, um, you know, they're plagued with PS, uh, PST, PTSD a lot of the times. Yeah. And, um, yep. you know, they're, they're going through these awful things and then maybe they end up having a hard time in life. They rejoice at that. They love to mm -hmm. say, oh, look how miserable this person looks. Look how sad this person is. Oh, this person left and they were in a car accident. I remember one of the things that I was really shocked about probably in 2014 there was uh, a young girl with her boyfriend who went there. She was a member. The boyfriend was baptized as a member. They went down uh, to go to a graduation and then they were in a really bad car accident because a car accident happened on a Tuesday. So they're like, well, they were there and they weren't going to go to third day service. So she's in a coma and he had one of his lungs crushed and that's because they were skipping third day. And you know, it, it was almost like, look at God's power, you know, and yeah. it's just so dark. It's such a dark, yeah. dark thing for them to, to, to think and, and consider it was, you know, that's, that's pretty, pretty rough for skipping a, a Tuesday night service. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say, and that's a pretty rough perspective on, on yeah. uh, the, the character uh, of, of God. Um, I mean, what, that the first thing you go to when, when these people that sh you should deeply care about and love as your brothers and sisters, your spiritual family, you know, oh, well, you know, they, they get what they des they deserve pretty much is, is kind of a, yeah, what it, they communicated there. Some of the, some of the things like in the heartlessness that they have, you know, towards yeah. different people in different situations, I know that one of the topics you talk about is like uh, their mistreatment of the homeless population mm -hmm. and, you know, in their perspective, like, you know, never preach to a homeless person because they don't say they're bad because they're homeless. They say they're homeless because they're bad. Mm -hmm. That's their mind. They sinned in heaven so bad that they're put in this bad situation. It's their punishment. And now they'll never be able to hear because of what they did in heaven. They'll never have salvation because they're bad people. That's how they view the homeless. So like they have this heartlessness towards a lot of groups of people. So, you know, it's just, they, they say, whenever we don't want to preach to somebody, somebody's not good. It's, you know, it's because they're a sinner from heaven and this is their punishment. They'll never, yeah. even though they're here in the flesh, they'll never get the opportunity. Yeah. And what, what a perfect example that is of just how biblically, biblically, ignorant uh this organization is i mean it just go read through the new testament any book pretty much and and, and you're going to discover a reoccurring prevalent 
focused on theme of caring for, loving the the lowly, the less than those who are in the, the poor and the needy, um, the oh, orphan and the widow. They you have know, what now? They have a workaround for that. They say, um, "Who are the poor? Is those that don't have the gospel, those who don't know about the Passover, who don't have God the Mother. Those are the poor, you know, yeah. not physically poor, spiritually poor. So that's how they justify it. The whole world out there, they don't have the riches because God is the treasure in the field, you know. God is your wealth. So if you don't have that, all the world is poor, and we have to go and help all those who don't know." god that's how we we give to the poor so they they have a workaround but it's only it's only spiritual when they want it spiritual it, it's not spiritual tithe no that's physical money that's physical you know you don't you don't tithe 10 percent of your spirit or you know it's 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 always how they want to look at it so it's um they're, they're very picky and choosy but they use oh it's spiritual a lot yeah. to to work serves them around. exactly when they don't want to listen to some of the teachings of the Bible. Yeah. yeah. Which, which again, I mean, um, that workaround doesn't work around. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because you can, you can, I mean, you could go to Acts or Galatians or, or many places again in the New Testament where you just see that when it, it, when there is mention of, you know, giving to the poor, you know, in, in Acts, it's, it's talks about how they would, you know, they would, um, I think it's an axe somewhere where, you know, where it's very specifically mentioned that giving, you know, physical provision to the poor um, is, is, you know, what displays somebody having true love. Um, yeah. yeah even I mean, the physically, the physically injured, like uh, the blind, for instance, they say, oh, yeah. it's the spiritually blind that we must help. Um, it's the, the cripple. The one, you know, who, whose legs don't work. Oh, that's because the, the legs don't listen to the brain and the the head is Christ. So it's the person who doesn't but, listen to Christ. That's the cripple. So they, they, they give this, 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 this stuff, but you'd never see them preach to an actual blind person no. or an actual crippled person. Unless, of course, maybe, maybe if they're related to a member, yeah. and then it's still kind of like, why'd you bring them? But Anthony, I thought that I thought that we were supposed to follow the example of Christ, right? And they, <laughs> and so, so how? I mean, how do they work around that? Because the example of Christ, you know, he Most. he didn't just he 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 healed physical eyes, he healed physical, uh, you know, those who were physically crippled. So how? I mean, how would they work around that? Because again, it's like, well, when just a normal average person picks up the Bible. Um, mm -hmm. This idea that you neglect the physical needs uh, of of people is a bit bizarre. Yeah, it's um, through the physical we can understand the spiritual. Uh -huh. You know that that's that's always the he gave us a physical example to show us what he's doing spiritually. You know, he cured the blind man on the Sabbath day. That's why you know when we go on the Sabbath day, our spiritual eyes can be open to see. You know that's. Okay. That's the the yeah. blessing of that. So that's that's oh man, yeah, <laughs> such a good example of how they they just when it works for them, they're going to say, oh, you're you're you know you're just focusing on the physical and it's all spiritual. But then you know when you get to things like the the the, the Last Supper, the Passover supper with Jesus, and I will try to argue and say, hey, look, he was doing this physical thing to point to a spiritual reality. 
then it's like, oh, no, no, you're missing the, the, the physical thing is, is the important thing there. The physical brand, physical. So it's like, <laughs> you know, they just kind of juggle yeah. things all over. When it's yeah, when it's convenient. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it is that's, mind numbing. But, you know, ultimately, though, um, you know, when, when they give these sorts of like bizarre teachings and things like that, you hear it and you're in service and you're like, wow, that's amazing. You know, and, you, you know, you highlight it in your Bible and you make your notes and it just seems so incredible because it's like all the things that we do that seemed wrong before are now justified. Like, you know, you feel good about it. But, you know, ultimately, you're still just doing things that are like, you know, not godly and not biblical. And, you know, now you're rejoicing because they found some bizarre explanation to why it was okay. Yeah. So <laughs> kind of finish out your story. Hey, you, how did you leave? And then like, what's been the process uh, of getting to where you are now? So um, ultimately I, um, I kept on, I kept on, I, I got to the point during the um, autumn feast where I said, I'm not going to go. I, I, I'm going to, I'm not going to continue. And I skipped a service. Um, I met with uh, one of my uh, neighbors from where I used to live and, you know, basically told him everything I'd been going through. Like, you know, I built a friendship um, because originally I was trying to, preach to this person. I was, I was going there to, you know, recruit him. Um, because I, when I was a member of the house church, I, I joined this community board and, um, on the community board, he was somebody who was doing good things in the neighborhood through the pandemic, like making masks for people and stuff like that. So I'm like, Oh, this is somebody I want to preach to. So I started to, you know, connect with him in order to preach, but he was a very devout, uh, Catholic person. And, you know, I actually, we just ended up becoming friends. So I, I explained to him everything that I had been going through because it was my one friend. <laughs> I didn't have any other friends besides this person I was trying to preach to. And um, I skipped service and, you know, we hung out for a little bit and, and, and spoke about the, um, my experience. The next day though, my wife talked to me and just keep the feast, just get through it. We'll keep, um, you know, home worship, we'll get through this. And then that was, I think on October and I kept on telling her, I'm like, look, I'm just, I'm just here until the, um, you know, for you, I'm just here for you. I'm not going because I want to be here. I don't believe anymore. And she's like, okay, just keep coming, keep coming. So I continued until mid December where I was sitting outside of the, uh, of the church and, um, I decided to call a friend I hadn't spoke to since probably 2010 and explain what I was going through. And my friend was like, you're in a cult. <laughs> you can't go in there. And I, um, I left. And then my wife found out that night because she was going to a different location because it was on Tuesday night. And, you know, she confronted me about it. We said we were going to try to work on our relationship and see if, you know, we can stay together. But, you know, it took no time at all for me to realize, you know, I had to stay home. I had no friends, nothing. I had to live my life as if I were still a member, 
you know, living in the, under those sorts of guidelines of being a church member. And I realized that I could never really be free of the church as long as we were together. Um, so I decided, you know, to, to separate from her. And it was really tough because, you know, after like nine, nine, 10 years of marriage, you, um, you definitely grow a, a connection to somebody, but you know, I need to, I need to get away. Uh, I need to get away from the church and, you know, it was an arranged marriage from the beginning, but I mean, it was still a very difficult decision for me. And I moved out on my own and it was really a, a tough time at the very beginning, but you know, it only lasted like a, a, like a month of having like some struggles and readjustments because up until that point, I always lived with somebody. Most of the time I was in the church married, I was living in a house with other people, you know, I'd say half the time. And now I'm living on my own for the first time in my life. And it was a really difficult time. It was really like, I, I had a really tough time at the very beginning, but um, my family was right there for me. Um, you know, I'd reach out, you know, they'd, they'd check in on me and um, I started to reconnect with some of my old friends who again, welcome me right back and make new friends and explore the things that I'm interested in. And, you know, really pretty quickly, I started to rebound and get my life back together and um, really just have a lot of experience, take, take trips, do things I like. And, you know, it was very quick. I, I became, you know, happy, healthy, started to take care of myself better than I was um you know exercise and and just live life um so it was it was tough at the beginning but it gets a lot better and i'm definitely really thankful for being able to get my life back and to be able to to live and really just seek god i mean one of the most difficult things is during that darkest time where typically at that moment i would sit down to pray to god um I, I would sit down, I put my hands together. I didn't know what to, to do. Um, it was a very uh, bizarre situation because they teach you, you cannot pray to Jesus because if you do is a sign of your condemnation, like Jesus, if anyone gave praise to Jesus, it was a bad name. You could only pray to Aung San Hong. You could only pray to God, the mother, like that's how your prayers had to begin. And you had to pray in his name. And now I just sat there and I felt they taught me like they have even a song where they sing that, you know, by the name of Jesus, I could not be saved by the name Jehovah. I could not be saved. Like you sing this, you believe this, you teach it. And now yeah. I'm sitting there without a name to pray to without anyone, you know, like who's going to listen to my prayer. It was a really difficult, like spiritual time. Um, but, you know, you just get, you get through it. You have to realize that, you know, there is no salvation under the name on Sung Hong. There is no salvation under Zangil Ja. Like these people don't give you salvation. You have to, you know, if you, if you believe the Bible, then it has to be in the name of Jesus. You know, it's just um, their teachings are really corrosive spiritually because you leave and you have, you feel like you have nowhere to turn, but. Yeah. Yeah. So how, I mean, where, if you don't mind me asking, where are you at at this point with, with God, faith, religion as a whole? 
I am, um, I'm not going to rush <laughs> into any particular uh, faith um, again. I am, I am open. Uh, I know a lot of people leave and they're, they feel very scorned by it. Mm -hmm. and they, they give up. Um, I haven't gone that route, um, but I do feel like I'm learning a lot um, and making my choice. I'm making my choice. I, I'm not, I didn't give up yeah. on my faith. I just, I'm giving myself a little bit of time to heal, but I, I will be picking up uh, again and, um, you know, getting into my uh, rebuilding that relationship that, you know, in a way, like, I want to say, you know, I severed, but I didn't really have that strong of a faith in God before. If anything, this time in the church, um, you know, if there's anything I'm walking away with is just knowledge of the Bible and a little bit more understanding about God. But unfortunately, it was in the wrong way. It was so a now lot of I, corruption. Yeah, and now I have when I when I hear a verse, sometimes it just triggers yep. what they taught, and that's all I know. So now I'm just trying to do like uh, research, read the Bible, uh, come to understand what it actually says, so I can yeah. you know live my life according to it. Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm in many ways right there with you. So <laughs> uh, I think it doesn't really matter what, you know, what, whether from a cult or what religious stream you you're coming from, you know, at some point, you know, there, there should be, I think in some sense, a, a deep questioning and analysis of, of the things that you are believing and holding to. And uh, I, I mentioned this on the playing and traffic podcast that, you know, I, tell members for the last few years to question what you believe. Don't just take it uh, and, and adhere to it because somebody tells you to, but go and examine it and test it, uh, which are all biblical um, uh, exhortations. You know, the, the Bible doesn't, doesn't promote like a, a information control sort of, um, yes. um, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it does, it commends people to go and examine the evidence. And, um, and so, yeah, I, 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 there's a lot of, a lot of things I've believed my whole life that I've, you know, come to in a sense, put most everything on the table. Um, and, and I think that's healthy. I think that's okay. And, um, there's, there's, you know, just, I think it's a good thing to be able to put everything there, but I think my, my encouragement for, for, people and, you know, specifically members leaving this group and something it sounds like um, it, it's good to hear that I think you're, you're doing is not allowing the, I think it's so easy for the hurt or the, the frustration, the irritation of, of whatever all is, is involved there with, with coming out of some sort of a religious experience or, or lifestyle and then beginning to realize that maybe, maybe some of it, or maybe all of it wasn't what you thought. I think it's easy to kind of over adjust uh if that's the right way of saying it to to mm -hmm. overcorrect and to just say okay i'm just gonna go way over here way over this way and, yeah. and so much of that isn't isn't really it, it's i think it's in many cases it's so much more of an emotional response than it is a, a rational one so i'm not saying that people shouldn't i'm not i'm fine if people end up over here on this side mm -hmm. of of you know 
there is no God or, or whatever, you know, that's I, my, my encouragement is just come there through a, a honest, rational way. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, one thing that it has given me is now I pay more attention to, you know, the signs that a place might not be the best place to be before in the world mission society, church of God, when I was there, it was like, oh, look at all these red flags, how pretty. But now when I see the red, when I see the red flags, I know, okay, no, that's not that's not something I want to follow. Right. So right. Yeah. 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 That's good. Well, Anthony, I really appreciate you sharing your story. Um, and and yeah, for everybody watching, um, we will be doing a, a part two where we'll be looking more at some of the specific doctrines. But uh, Anthony, to kind of close this part out, um, what would you say to to members? What would you say to those watching? You know, wh whether it's current members who are maybe watching this coming from a place of just anger and they just really hate your guts at the moment, um, <laughs> or to those who are just maybe just on the verge of leaving and those who have left, but it's just what, what would be kind of your, your thoughts, your encouragement to, to give to these people? Well, one, um, I, I would say that what they should, what they could do with their life is really don't just take what somebody tells you and believe it. It's, it's good to question it. So, you know, if somebody's telling you, these are the, the dates, things happen, look it up, like do, do some of your own research. Uh, if somebody's teaching you something in a Bible class about history, make sure that it's, it's accurate. You know, that's like, you know, do your own homework. Um, just because it's printed in a pamphlet they give you doesn't mean that it's accurate. Um, on top of that, I would say that um, it's, it's important for you to also connect with your family. Um, you know, they taught us don't have safety nets you know, don't have a way out of the church, but it's always important that, you know, you realize that your family is there to support you. Um, you know, I, I, I hope, you know, and I don't know everybody's situation, yeah. but typically, um, you know, just rely on your family, you know, they, they'll be there for you. Um, and then ultimately, don't let your pride hold you back. Um, if you've been, you know, saying, you know, this is the truth, this is the truth, this is the truth. And, you know, over and over, you're repeating it to yourself. And then to feel like you're wrong about what you've been saying. It's okay that you were wrong. It's okay that, you know, maybe you made a mistake. It's, you know, no one's going to hold it against you. You were, you know, taught this, you were, you had many convincing things given to you to believe this. But it's okay that if you were wrong, you could just you could walk away and nobody's going to hold it against you. No one's going to judge you. The only ones who are going to judge you is like, you know, your church members. But really, you know, if they're so quick to shut you out of their lives, were they ever really there for you in the first place? So I would say ultimately it's okay if you were wrong about this church. If you believe so hard, you know, in its teachings, it's okay you know, because nobody's going to be there to judge you for it. They're just going to be happy that you've been able to get yourself free from this sort of um, unjust control over your life. So, you know, and there's definitely brighter days ahead, you know, even though it might hurt like hell at the very beginning, you'll get through it. And, you know, 
your life will get better. You know, you can pick up the pieces, no matter how much you think you destroyed your, your life, you can pick it up and continue on.